Matthew 5, verse number 4 today, in our study of the B attitudes, the B attitudes, uh, our second B, blessed are the bleeding. You're going to find this to be interesting, I think. Um, verse number 4, blessed are those, those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. I have to confess as we begin this uh, study this morning, this is a very sobering, um, a very sobering portion to deal with. Dealing with things that revolve around mourning, and especially the topic is sin. And if that doesn't sober us, I don't know what would. That is our biggest need. That's the spot that hurts the most. And so, when we go through this, I, I know, I feel it as I have studied these things. I, I felt uh, um, a heaviness about it, uh, a great concern about it. And um, I think the, the verse itself just lends to that. Blessed are they who mourn. For they shall be comforted. Let's let's talk to the Lord about this first. Heavenly Father, we have your word in front of us, and it's the perfect word of God. And it's uh, it's that which you have given to us to know, to see. We, this is a verse that we've seen before. We've memorized, perhaps, over the years, this list. It's an easy one to fly by, especially as we're trying to remember them in some order we are thinking ahead of the next one and the next one. And yet this one is the one that captivates our attention today. And we stop right here and we look at it. And as we muse upon it, Lord, we pray that you do your work in our hearts and in our lives and uh, show us again not only who we are, but who you are. Because that's the most important part of our study. We must know you. And we must know what that means when you comfort us. What that means that we are blessed. And I pray that you do your work in our hearts today. Again, I say it a lot, but I, I really mean this, Lord, from my heart. Draw us closer to yourself, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Now, I know I have to explain a little bit why I chose the term bleeding. Number one, it's a B. And it had to match. If you go in the thesaurus and find the word mourning and look for B words, you're not going to find them. So I had to come up with one. A bleeding actually is a, a concept. I'm, I'm going to bring it to you in just a few minutes, okay? But I want you to know as we introduce this again, uh, blessed are the bankrupt, verse number three. Blessed are the bleeding. In verse number four, we're talking about the heart of the spiritual life. We're talking about your heart and my heart. These are items that are spiritual in nature. So when we read the word mourning, we could easily talk about those things that concern us when a loved one passes away, uh, when we're deeply hurt by somebody, we, we've had a loss of one kind or another. We, we understand the word mourn. We do. Um, but this is a spiritual context we're dealing with here. And so that's why you're going to see me go toward the side of sin today. Because that's the thing that we should mourn. 
And I'm going to show you that as we go. Because all of these are spiritual in nature. And you can see that especially, though he talks about the meek and he talks about uh, the merciful and the pure in heart, verse number 4 really identifies it's a spiritual thing because it deals with those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And that's in our context. So we're, we're going to deal with righteous things. These are not laws. All right? These are not set up as a merit system to gain God's approval. As if you check them off and you're eventually get into heaven or something like that. That is not at all what Jesus was dealing with here. He was dealing with those who already followed the laws. Or at least in their words they said they followed the laws. But their heart was far from him. And he knew it, didn't he? He knew it. We're only approved, by the way. This word blessed. We're only approved before God because of Jesus Christ. That's not our doing. So we can't earn that, can we? There's nothing we can do to stand up and say, Lord, you've got to bless me because I've done A, B, and C. He blesses you because of Jesus Christ and His righteousness. And that's why we can ever claim salvation. We cannot earn it. We cannot earn heaven. We know salvation is by grace alone. We know heaven is a place where we dwell with our Savior and our Father forever and ever. And those are not earned. This passage is not dealing with those things. It's talking about the mindset of the heart. How do you live? How do you live? Living... This is the living part of our life. Jesus saw the Jews, and, and he knew that uh, they had the law, and he knew that they lived in such a wooden way. If you could say the word wooden perfectly, they probably were good examples of that. There were little statues that walked about, building little ladders of rules that, that by climbing each rung, they thought they'd find God's favor. Remember the rich young ruler? He had climbed the ladder. He said, I've done all these things. But he knew in his heart he was still lacking something. That's an honest place to be. Unfortunately, he didn't follow through with what he was told to do, which was ultimately follow Jesus. And he didn't do that. I hope that you're not that way. I really do. You're, being in a Bible church, we're prone to this, folks. We have God's Word in front of us. We read it. We say, oh, I, I do that, I do that, I do that, I do that. And, and we can easily set up the merit system. Even if we're not thinking about it. We can start following it in such a way that our worship is wooden. Our practice is wooden. Our, our, everything about us is, is that which Jesus might have called us from Revelation chapter 3. Lukewarm. I don't want to be that way, do you? This is an issue of the heart. And that's why I'm, I'm bringing it to you here. Matthew 5 begins what we call the Sermon on the Mount. I was reading uh, from A.W. Tozer this last week. I, I enjoy reading his book, The Pursuit of God. Just enjoy going through that many, many times. And it just happened, the chapter he was on was on the Beatitudes. And this is his comment I thought was very interesting. Uh, he's speaking about how Jesus spoke wonderful and strange words to those who were listening that day. And he says, It is well that he spoke, for no one else could have done it as well. And it is good that we listen. His words are the essence of truth. He is not offering an opinion. 
Jesus never uttered opinions. He never guessed. He knew. And he knows. His words are not, as Solomon's were, the sum of sound wisdom or the result of keen observation. He spoke out of the fullness of his Godhead, and his very words are very truth itself. He is the only one who could say, blessed with complete authority. He said, okay. Because he knows what God approves. He is God. He looks upon those he has made, those who have invest, he has invested so much in, and you and I are among those right now, as to what he's given for us. He gave his life, as the choir reminded us of that. He gave us the word of God to follow. He gave us the blessings. Just like with the Jews, he gave them a law to live by. He gave them the blessings of the land. He gave them the leadership of priests. He gave them prophets. He gave them kings. And yet they had stony hearts. And he gives us so much, too. Like I said, our very lives, the Word of God, our teachers, our pastors, our, our, our brothers, our sisters, our gifts, our ministries. Folks, you know our blessings overflow. They overflow. And I could go on all morning long about all that he's given to us, including that ultimate gift of his own life. But I don't want a stony heart. I don't want a stony heart. Those who are spiritually bankrupt know that they must completely depend upon the Lord. They know that. Now, it's putting it into practice that's hard. But they do, I believe, seek to have the Lord dominate their lives. They do want His wisdom to be their wisdom. They do want His works to be their works. They want their strength to be His strength. They want their plans to be His. Their goals to be their His. Their will to be His. They want Him to get the glory. They want those things. Those who are spiritually bankrupt want those things because you insert any part of us and you've inserted elements of pride. So, Blessed are the bankrupt. Yes, that's a great place to start. Today we talk about the bleeding, those who mourn. Another universal issue in our hearts is called sinfulness. Sinfulness. That's the issue we're going to look at today, just like last time was the issue of pride. Today the issue is sinfulness. It's great to do a project when it involves Tools, power tools, they intimidate me a little bit. That's why I have Mel do it for me. So Mel, cut this board. See, I have all ten fingers. That's my goal in life, is to keep them. But you know what? Anytime you cut yourself, it gets your attention, doesn't it? It's amazing how that does that. The smallest little drip and suddenly, ah! Some of you might have that kind of fear that... that sets off a panic in your heart. But you, you, you know blood always gets attention, doesn't it? It always gets attention. It's very interesting that uh, that simple little thing that could get some people squeamish, it could get the, uh, uh, you know, a response out of them, but that's the point. It does get a reaction. It's not supposed to be on the outside. And when it is, we say, oh, we've got to do something about that. Now, the reason I chose bleeding for this passage 
it's because there's a singular point I'd like to make here from this passage, and there is a reaction that we should have to sin. We should respond to it, even the smallest. We should have a reaction to it. Unfortunately, what we typically do with sin, and I put we in there on purpose, we rationalize. We, we pass the blame. We justify. We excuse. We ignore. We joke about it. We make it a trivial thing. We, we tend to do that with sin because it's uncomfortable, and many times when it's sticking out, we've got to say something about it. And so we go through these routines. Unfortunately, we do. What we should do, according to the things that we're seeing in God's Word, number one, is mourn. We should mourn. The definition of mourn, you know the picture. Anyway, the, the idea, mourning, is perfect for this concept because what was the result of sin? What is the wages of sin? And what should be our reaction to death? We should mourn, right? Do you know the dearest thing has just been taken from us? You say, well, what was that? When Adam and Eve sinned, they broke fellowship with God. That should have been the dearest thing. And I think that should be our dearest desire. So beautiful fellowship with God. And that is broken with sin. It should lead to mourning. And I thought I'd, I'd pull up some words because we're used to these. They're, honestly, it surprised me how many different varieties of mourning there is in Scripture. This is not some sort of griefologist or anything like this speaking here. It's just what I've seen in the words, and it's interesting. You could start with tears. There are tears. Remember, Jesus wept. You could have weeping. You could have sobbing. That's one of the definitions. You can have moaning. You can have wailing. As you can see, I'm moving up in intensity. You can have a sadness that has no hope. Remember 1 Thessalonians chapter 4? He says, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, like those who have no hope. Why? They were grieving over lost ones, and it was an intense heaviness. They had no hope. And that's a terrible way to grieve. There are those who strike themselves, actually aiming towards some sort of physical harm perhaps, but certainly a, a physical display, striking yourself. So we'll talk about a guy like that in a little bit. There were professional mourners. You knew that, didn't you? In the New Testament especially, there's a group brought up in the case of Jairus' daughter, who passed away. And by the time Jesus came to the home with Jairus, the professional mourners were at work. They had their flutes going, and they had their wailing going, and their lamentations going, and all these other things. And they were professionals. That's what they were. Here's a couple of things that they did. They had particular mourning garments. And it was like their uniform, they put it on. But it was designed in such a way that they could tear it at the right spots. 
And so that looked like morning. And then when they were done with their morning, they would go back home and they'd stitch them back together in those spots and put them in the closet for the next job. And they'd go out and mourn again. Would you like their job? Well, here's the other thing that's, that you know that they're not uh, investing their heart in it is that the moment Jesus came into the crowd and told them that the girl was not dead, they immediately turned on the dime and started to laugh at him. And he threw them out. Ekbalo, great word, Greek word. I mean, he threw them out. That's the Greek word. Even though the text of the English is kind of, he sent them out. It's just ekbalo, he threw them out. It's kind of a cool, I would love to see that video someday. But, uh, Anyway, this, this picture of professional mourning, you know, what that is, is you can do it visibly and not mean it from the heart. That's a big concern. But here's the one that we're looking at today, because this word mourn that's in front of us here is, as one person defined, a grief, a grief that takes possession of the whole being. A grief that takes possession of the whole being. Even though it's inward, it has to come outward. It can't be contained. It has an outward manifestation. It has an outward reaction. It's that kind of a grief that just can't be hid. It's lamenting in a powerful way. goes beyond just bewailing something or grieving. It's an expression that goes with pain. It goes with suffering. And it's too deep to conceal. That's your word in front of you here. Blessed are they that mourn. Blessed are they that mourn. Now, you know the Bible teaches that God loves you very dearly, right? I want you to remember that. He loves you very, very dearly. And you will never know a deeper love than His. I hope, after studying that like we did, and after thinking about that kind of love for you, that your reaction is to want to love Him in return. Is that worth that? Do you, do you want to love Him with an intensity, to some degree that, that shows how much you appreciate what He's done? Do you want to love Him in such a way that your life pleases Him? If that's so, how do you feel when you displease Him? How do you respond to those things that are contrary to His nature and contrary to His Word? You may say, Lord, show me what you will approve. And He says, I'll show you what I approve. Blessed are they that mourn. And you stop and say, wait a minute. That seems contradictory. <laughs> Blessed are they that mourn. Blessed are those who are approved by God. Bankrupt are those who are totally dependent on God. Mourning means that we have learned our state. The word literally goes this way. Blessed are those who keep on mourning. There's an ongoing realization here 
that it's speaking of. The sins we commit, and we know it. The sins we commit, and we don't know it. The sins we do that we shouldn't. The sins we do because we didn't do what we should. I have a, a, a theory, and it goes like this. The further we grow in our understanding of God and His righteousness, the greater our understanding will be of the depth of our sin. I've thought about that a lot. I've even prayed about that many, many times. I said, Lord, I really, really, really want to know you more, but don't drive me insane when I see who I am. Because I think that the more we know of Him, the more we see how far we are from it. You know, our conscience fights this. <laughs> it does every time. It, it doesn't like to go down this road. Our pride swells up within us. Our, our love grows cold. Our fruit bearing starts to lessen. And then we get into a state where we realize all these and we're like, Paul, oh, wretched man that I am, he said in Romans chapter 7. That was his reaction to a heart that knew the law but just wouldn't do it. Wretched means to carry a burden that never seems to end. It's a miserable condition. So what is a blessing here, folks? <laughs> if it's such a struggle, what is a blessing? Why does he call them blessed when he deals with such a thing? I'll give you a handful of reasons, I believe, that should point this out. We are blessed, first of all, because God has worked within us to recognize our, our lost condition. We are blessed to know it. He could have left us in the dark. He could have left us ignorant of sin. He could have been so repulsed, and I'm sure he is, so repulsed by us that he just turns away and leaves us where we are. Could have easily have done that. The very fact that he reveals this to us is a blessing. If you had something wrong with you, you didn't know it. And say that it was uh, a, a very serious condition, perhaps even a terminal situation. And everybody else around you knew it, but you. Would you like to be in that spot? Totally ignorant of what was going on around you? I actually knew a lady like that. My very first church uh, I pastored in Birmingham. This elderly lady, she was in misery. Absolute misery. Back was killing her. Literally it was. She didn't know she had, she was full of cancer. Her husband knew it. And her daughters knew it. But they didn't choose to tell her. And she laid on that bed in misery. And I'd go in and talk to her. You know, I was in a tough spot. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know. Should I say, you know, I know what's going on here? I think that on... 
you know, looking back, I said, I should have said something. She didn't live very long that way. But she didn't know what was wrong with her. And I knew. Would you have preferred that God left you ignorant of your sin? Would that be loving on his side to leave us so? You see, that's one way we're blessed. Blessed are they that mourn. They, they know what happened. They know what the issue is. And God has been very kind to us to reveal that to us. Blessed as well is this fact. He did not leave us there. He did not leave us there, did he? I am so thankful for the cross. Here's the thing. Sin, when it's left unaddressed, brings misery. That's King David. After he sinned with Bathsheba, he went nearly a whole year before that prophet Nathan came in with his bony prophetic finger and pointed it right at him and said, You're the man. And it broke his heart. But you know what? David knew that the whole time. Because he had spent so much time in his life walking with God that he chose not to address it. He had to have been most miserable all those days. All those days that he had ignored that sin and didn't deal with it, he had to have been very miserable. And here's the thing. When we hang on to sin, we're conscious of it, and we hang on to it, and hang on to it. We don't address it. We ignore it. We pass it off for somebody else's problem. We, we you know, justify it. We have our list of things we do with it. We are never at peace until we take it to the cross. And isn't it a remarkable thing that suddenly there's relief? Suddenly there's forgiveness? Suddenly we're made whole? We feel wonderful suddenly. And all the while we're thinking, well, why did I hang on to that thing so long? Why didn't I deal with that when I should have? Because Jesus says, and those who who come to me if they confess their sins, I'm faithful and just to forgive them their sins and cleanse them from all unrighteousness. That's an incredible thing He does. He takes the sin and takes it away from us. He's carried it off. He's nailed it to the cross, we read in Colossians. In the Old Testament, God says, and I throw it behind my back. I cast it out in the deep of the sea. I separate it from you as far as the east is from the west. Try tracking that down. There's relief at the cross. There's such sweet peace at the cross. Why are we so afraid to approach it? Because of our pride? He already knows who we are. He already knows what we've done. Self-preservation. Self-exaltation. I won't take it to Him. And all the while, He's had the solution. And you're blessed if you know it. And you're blessed if you go and stand at that cross. He did something about it. And that's a beautiful thing about our God. I can't think of any other religion out there that has their gods out there that has a solution for sin. But our Father does. He did something about it. He sent His own Son. You see, generation after generation after generation, 
came before him with excuses, with justifications for sins. They rationalized. They were hypocrites in their ways. They were callous in their hearts. They offered rituals over and over and over again, and tokens and ceremonies. But God wanted a broken heart. He wanted a broken heart. A a mourning that springs from the sense of sin. That tender conscience from a broken heart. That's what A.W. Pink said. There were many years ago I was at a, a pastor's conference. You always wonder what pastors talk about when they got together. We we did that on a, a about every other month in Indiana. We had a pastors group. IFCA men got together, and one day we had instead of a special speaker who would speak three times in the in the morning and and such, we always enjoyed that. We said, let's give it to all of us. We get ten minutes. Go up there and share what's on our heart. All right? They set a timer, and when it went off, everyone laughed, and you couldn't finish what you were saying anyway. So it was kind of a fun thing to do it that way. But one guy got up there and absolutely shocked us all. His first words were, I hate church. We're like, whoa, <laughs> something's up with this guy, right? He's a pastor of a church, and those are three words he said first. I hate church. I won't tell you the rest of that story. But I'll tell you what God said. Go back to Isaiah chapter number 1. This might surprise you. Isaiah chapter number 1. Start in verse 4. Anthony, so you could get there. Isaiah 1 verse 4. Look at these handful of verses. Really, it's kind of long up to verse 18, but I'll read fast. You can follow. God says this, Isaiah 1, 4. Alas, sinful nation, people weighed down with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, sons who act corruptly. That's not a way you normally address somebody, is it? God does. They've abandoned the Lord. They've despised the Holy One of Israel. They've turned away from Him. Where were you? Where will you be stricken again as you continue in re- rebellion? The whole head is sick. The whole heart is faint. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is nothing sound in it, only bruises and welts and raw wounds. They're not pressed out. They're not bandaged. They're not softened with oil. Your land is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Your fields, strangers are devouring them in in your presence. It is desolation, as overthrown by strangers. The daughter of Zion is left in a shelter in a vineyard, like a watchman's hut in a cucumber field, like a besieged city. Unless the Lord of hosts has left us a few survivors, we would be like Sodom. We would be like Gomorrah. So hear the words of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. (laughs) He turns it right back on them. Interesting. Give ear to the instructions of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Why are your multiple sacrifices to me? Says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and of the fat of fed cattle. I take no pleasure in the blood of bulls, lambs, or goats. When you come to appear before me, who required of you this trampling of my courts? Bring your worthless offering no more. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath, the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity in the solemn assembly. I hate your new moon festivals and your appointed feast. 
They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. So when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Yes, even though you multiply prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are covered with blood. Wash yourself. Make yourself clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from my sight. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Reprove the ruthless. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. They are red like crimson. They will be like wool. He hates their services. He wants their heart. He wants their heart. Back to in Isaiah, go to the last chapter, 66. 66. This is what he says. This is the word that he comes to. Verse number 2, right in the middle of a thought where he says, Heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. He says in verse 2, For my hands made all these things. Thus they all things that come into... Thus all, all these things came into being, declares the Lord. But to this one I will look. To him who is humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word. I could take you, if we had time this morning, to instances in the temple that Jesus talked about. A rich man over here, a righteous man, dressed the right way, following the rules, things like that, standing before God saying, I'm so glad I'm not like that sinner, that sinner, that sinner. And then the man on the other side of the podium, where he is just beating his breast, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus would ask, which one went away? Which one went away? Forgiven. He did that on several occasions. You could see them in Luke 18. You can find it again in Luke chapter 7. We don't have time for all that. See, it's one thing for us to say, yes, I know I'm a sinful man. It's easy sometimes just to say, that I am a sinner, because Scripture tells us that in any, anyway. But how many of us mourn because of it? See, here's a couple of quotes I'll just read. Well, one, for one. This is what John MacArthur put in his commentary on this. Sin tramples on God's law, makes light of His love, grieves His spirit, spurns His forgiveness and His blessing, and in every way resist His grace. Sin makes us weak, makes us impure. It robs us of comfort, and much more immediately, it robs God of glory. When Isaiah stood before the Lord in chapter number 6, and he saw the Lord high and lifted up, and he heard the angels singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, Isaiah looked at himself and said, I am undone. That's quite a phrase. He recognized his sinfulness. The Lord didn't leave him there. You've got to read the rest of the chapter. Blessed are they that mourn, because they will be comforted. They will be comforted. I don't think we're going to ever find the comfort if we don't recognize the problem. 
and we don't go to the solution, we would never know the comfort. The comfort is the word parakleo. It's a Greek word. We use paraclete. That's a comforter. The Holy Spirit's our paraclete. He's our comforter. But what's interesting, when Jesus said, I'll send you the comforter, he said, I'll send you another comforter. You know what that meant? There already was a comforter, too. You know who that is? He's one who stands before the throne right now as your advocate. He's a paraclete, according to 1 John. Same word. Jesus Christ is your comforter. The Holy Spirit now dwells within you. He's your comforter. Boy, folks, are we blessed. We are blessed. That's what he promised. That's what he did. He did something about our sins. Here's what it comes down to. On the one hand, it breaks my heart. It leaves me bleeding, honestly, to know that it was my selfishness. It was my rebelliousness. It was my hardened heart, my ungratefulness, my foolishness, my sin that have brought about the death of Jesus. I take responsibility for that. I did it. I did it. On the other hand, I wouldn't trade that comfort for anything on earth. The comfort I get from that cross, I wouldn't trade it for anything. I can take my bankrupt spirit before a God who is rich in mercy. And I can take my bleeding heart before the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. I know where to go. And that's why these folks are blessed. Not that they've earned some merit of some kind, but they've gotten to know God. And they know where to go when they realize their need. That's what I wanted to express today. Where we can check our hearts. And if we've been living callously, if we've been living in some sort of spiritual pride lately, we've been looking up, you know, and saying, God, I'm doing pretty good, don't you think? Once in a while we need to take a look again and see, apart from Him we have no righteousness. Apart from Him we have no forgiveness. Apart from Him, we are lost, and we are dead, and we're wallowing in our sins. And I'm thankful to be saved. But even as a saved person, I want to please Him, don't you? And when these things get in the way, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He's a propitiation for our sins. That's a big word. That means the atoning sacrifice. He covered it. He covered it. So folks, let's live like those who are bleeding in heart, but comforted simultaneously. Because God did something about it. Heavenly Father, we come before you today, again, with a real test here of who we are. A real hard place, a painful place to check to see how we are walking with you. We are so glad for the remedy for our sin. 
our Savior Jesus Christ and all that He's done to accomplish forgiveness for us. We're so thankful for that. And yet there's an interesting mix before us today of those who bleed and those who are blessed. And it turns out to be the same person who's come to know you best and wants to serve you with all their heart and realize this, they cannot do it on their own. Drive us to the cross again. Drive us to our dependence upon you. May we see the beauty of our God's righteousness and his work in our hearts today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.